Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Gentlemen, we all right? Good yeah, evening. Very well. You? Brightly? No, not really. Still gutter from Friday, me. Yeah, Friday was a nightmare, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, well, obviously... Apologise to everybody who uh, who got tickets. Quite a few of the events at the venue have been cancelled over the weekend with the cases rising, and quite a lot of people got in touch saying, you know, that they they won't be coming. So we thought it'd be best to put it back till March. Yes. We'll have a Christmas yeah. party in March. Yeah, we can make it an Easter yeah. party, can't we? Yeah, we can understand people not wanting to come. We don't want anybody spreading it and then ever missing Christmas, not seeing, not everybody didn't see the mums and dads and grands and grands last year, did they? Exactly. Uh, yeah. Not not to watch us, us three numpties on stage. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was with a very, very heavy heart, but a sensible head, I think. Yes. Is the terminology. We go again on in March. Yeah. Yes, definitely. All them tickets when we're going again in March. Still be a good do. Be a good do. Oh, hi. Oh, it's to be a good we'll have a good kick that. at ball, Chris. Don't worry about that. Fear not. Fear not. We'll still, still have a good kick at ball. We might, I might even throw some Easter eggs out into the crowd. <laughs> it weren't just us that were, were pulling the plug that weekend either. The, we only ended up with three games. Who knows wins? I know, oh. yeah. It's, uh, surely everybody got, surely everybody won. <laughs> I, still, I still got balls all. There are only three games. <laughs> you, still didn't get, you still didn't get three out of three, right? Nothing. I think I got two. I think I got two. But we'll be, we'll have the we'll have the league going again next week. Ah, it spoiled it really, didn't it? We only three games. You know what I mean? It were. Hopefully, it'll be a, another full fixture next weekend. But the league will be live again. If you've not played before, ten games to predict. Put your fiver in the pot. Make your predictions, and the best predictors split the pot. I mean, it was a. It, I mean, I know you like a good spread, Chris, but bloody hell, I think uh, six six pound seventy four. Was I haven't even <laughs> I hadn't even counted them. There were about five hundred winners. I don't know. <laughs> at least, wins at, wins least at least, yeah. At least one part is you, you've made you made getting on for thirty uh, percent of your money, ain't you? Yeah. So we'll get a couple yeah. of Freddos on us. Can you even get Freddos for that much now? I think they're even dearer, aren't they? Are they? They're not ten p like they used to be old Freddos. A couple of white mice then. Yeah, a couple of white mice will do you. The return of Mick Rathbone. Oh, see, the thing is about this one as well, it's, it makes it even better. We've filmed this, haven't we? Yeah. yeah. So you can watch Mick's uh, mannerisms. I tell, you what, I tell you what gets me is how quickly he talks, but also it's as though he's really thinking about what he's saying, but really quickly. Computes yeah. everything. And, yeah, I know what you mean. 
Do you know what I mean? It's like it's a good skill, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's beyond me. It's beyond it's beyond <laughs> my uh, ability. Obviously, the, the, I mean, the first book, Smell of Football, had come out just just after we'd done the first one, and now he's got the second one out. Yeah. I think in that time, he just left Everton, and he just left David Moyes at Everton beforehand, yeah. and then since then, he's he's worked under Sir Alex at Man United. After that, didn't he? England under 17s, 19s, won Euros with him, didn't he? Yeah. Went to that uh, foreign team and all. We were that. That I, I think I think we see it in the in the episode, but he goes to Montserrat, doesn't he? And That's that needs a movie. Right. That it needs yeah, a movie. It talks about. I don't want to spoil anything, but like the Buddhist coach and and <laughs> just getting a team in in the Caribbean who've not won in. I mean, they haven't won in years, and then they they got some victories. They've won ever. I thought, thought they'd not won ever. Had they? I think they they might have done earlier on against one of other little islands. But to refer to it, to refer to it, they're like they done well to actually get a team. Yeah. I know. Basically, if you if if you if you if you're a monster from Montserrat and you had a pair of corpers, you got picked. <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah, start, unbelievable story. And it, well, he's been loads of clubs at any since. I mean, you you had him at, at Preston, didn't you? As a physio, he came to Preston and... for a bit, yeah, to help uh, help Jack ward the physio out, and it was yeah. it was brilliant. And he's so still enthusiastic. He's still grafting there at uh, at Salford. Yeah, and he's been Wigan, Blackpool, like. You're in periods, Annie Forest, yeah. But what a story! What a guy! Guy, yeah. yeah. Uh, you could listen to him all day, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah. I think I think you could just let him speak at you all day. Yeah, I think I think if you if you if you had like a, a twenty four hour flight, <laughs> I'd want Mick next to me. I think. <laughs> you know what I mean? Skip I'd, skip the movies. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you need a movie. I think you just need yeah. to just like the touch paper, and then what? We'll see you in uh, see you in Sydney, and what you're there. I don't think he'd shut up for twenty two and a half of the like, but I might do no. it. Yeah, he'd make that flag go quicker. That's for sure. Yeah. Right. Oh. Hey, well, we hope everybody's going to have a good Christmas as well. Obviously, this is the oh, yeah, last is... episode before Christmas. I think we've got another special coming just uh, just after Christmas, between Christmas and New Year. Uh, before before we finish for the end of the series. So, yeah, everybody have a good Christmas. No, we really appreciate it, don't we? Yeah, everybody who's done the quizzes, listened to the podcast, Patreons, been to the live shows. Hopefully we've made it a better, a little bit better year than what it would have been for everybody. Uh, I imagine loads of better shitter, uh, understandably. But if we just sprinkle a little bit of joy, we're more than happy with that, chaps, aren't we? So we get Mick in? Aye, right, let's get making a Merry Christmas, fuckers. Mr. Baz Rathbone, how are we doing? Oh, really good. Thanks for inviting me back. Thanks for joining really us excited. once again. I told the soul for Lazarus coming on, and they'd all heard of the show. Oh, excellent news. Yeah. Perfect. Great and, start. And, and we're uh, very complimentary of it, too. We weren't filming them the last time. We should have told you. You could have brought us to change your clothes. Well, That's actually, what I was getting at. Funnily enough, I, I had a grey beard. I'm not even joking. I shaved it off this morning because my wife said, no, I'll, I'll do the beard. You don't need one. So I shaved <laughs> it off, you know, so there you go. Well, the new book's out. Yeah, it's, it's really exciting. Um, I'm when people say it's not about the money, it means it is about the money, don't they? Like, so, uh, <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it not about the money, <laughs> No, so uh, how can I phrase that? But uh, I, I wanted that, uh, that altruisticness. I wanted people to say it was good, and um, and I spent a lot of time writing it and getting it printed and trying to get the quality really high, so people wouldn't say, 
that's a CRAP version of the first book. I didn't want that, like, you know, and I'm really pleased and proud. And somebody asked me the other day, which one do you prefer? And I said, actually, the second one, because people are saying, um, to my face, <laughs> that it's as good, stroke, better than the first book. And I really, really wanted that. It meant the world to me, you know, that I hadn't kind of jumped on the bandwagon and then bought a second one out that weren't very good, actually. Was it a different process this time? Uh, no, because I wrote it all myself and that. The only process was I'm selling it on my website, like, you know, so it's not in all the shops now. So yeah. you haven't got all that. Um, doing all the hard work yourself. My wife is doing all the oh. hard work. She, you know, <laughs> as we it's, say. It's about the money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. If she wants that new outfit for Christmas. She better lick those envelopes. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it's only for sale on the website and that. And it's really good and it's really exciting. So when I get home now and I switch on my giant iPad, the sales come flooding through and you know the pound signs are spinning around and, <laughs> i thought it was about the money but it's not about the money <laughs> it's not about the money new I, challenge it's not i've just got, money. Uh, I've just not got a bollock and forgiving you at the read haven't i well i, I, I said to you I, it, it's nice but it's not a library book is it chris <laughs> you know what i mean if you want a library book go to the library you know uh, and oh, by the way yeah can you, can you pass that on yeah. to me yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and, and, and uh, uh, at the risk of repeating myself it's not about the money but buy your own bloody copy <laughs> But I, 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 the point is, the point is, guys. I really wanted people to say it was as good as the first book, and people are saying that, and that means the world. And it's not about the money. The first book's obviously about your career and the anxieties and everything that came with it. And I first met you t was it ten years ago. But gosh, I, yeah, I just left Everton, hadn't I? Mm. And you said uh, even back then that you you felt like you were done. You, the full time stuff was yeah. probably getting too much, the pressure and all that. How was it leaving Everton? I don't think we've ever spoke about Mate, that. It was the most incredible day of my life, that final day. And I was just there. We beat Portsmouth. That's how long ago it was. Beat Portsmouth a couple of days later at the training ground. And David just said to me, Baz, have you got a minute? And I went into his office and he said, uh, Baz, he said, uh, it's time for the change. And I said, oh, don't go, Dave. You're doing a good <laughs> job. And he went, no. He went, a change in the medical team. I said, you've never liked Matt. He went, Baz, it's not Matt. <laughs> I said, Danny. He went, it's not Danny. I said, right, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, right, in the medical team, not Matt, not Danny. I said, no, I said, you'll have to give me a clue. He goes, Baz, he's in the room now and it's not me. I'm looking under the table, behind <laughs> the curtains, and then the penny dropped. You're out. <laughs> That's it. And you tumble down the stairs in a state of shock. <laughs> you were contemplating leaving anyway, so was it, was it a relief? Yes, because, I, I mean, th that actually didn't really happen like that. <laughs> <laughs> I've kind of uh, taken that, uh, I think it's called Poetic Licence. I've taken that over the last 10 years and made that story my own. <laughs> I'm David's biggest fan. He's a fantastic manager. I do say in the book, please give the guy a chance. He'll show you how good he is. I think I've been proved right. Sometimes it's just time for the change. I've been there 15 years, seven days a week. I decided it, it, it was time. Uh, but you know what? And I say, I, I don't know if I ever would have knocked on that door. I went to knock on the door and Dave was sat there and then I pulled away and went back to my office. I thought, what are you doing? Who gives up a, a job like this, six-figure wages? Who does that? You've got young kids. What are they going to say to dad when they're going away in a bloody caravan instead of a five-star hotel? You know, it's time for universities, driving lessons. So I got back in my office, I was spooked like that. I thought, no, 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 I'm burned out. It's time to go down the corridor again. Went to knock on the door, couldn't do it when I sat down. I thought, what are you doing? What are you doing? Then Dave knocked on my door, got me in and said, look, you know, 
I think we've come to the end of it. Like, so does that mean that you got a settlement to leave? Yeah, I mean, it's not about the money. He knows not about the money. It wasn't about that. It was professional pride. But it was really funny because the, the different things that go through your head. I mean, we, we stayed really, really good friends, and we meet up for coffee and stuff, and he would pay, and I'd say, well, you know, you'll have to, because I've got no money, I got sacked. Oh, <laughs> oh you were there. <laughs> you know, so, you know, but it, it was... It, I, I use the word pejoratively, sack, 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 sack. You know, it makes a nice story. And I, I guess I was sacked. Could I have stayed on? No, so I guess I was. But it was more than that. It, it, it was, you know, 15 amazing years with an amazing guy who gave me everything. And it was just t time to move on in that light. So you do know. you know when you've had coffee since? Have you ever actually said to him, what, what why, Dave? No, because... Uh, uh, I wasn't performing very well. I wasn't performing very well. I'd done like, and, and you know, I'd done seven days a week for 18 years. The last year we had a tsunami of injuries. And whether you like it or not, it affects you. Because I go in every morning and I say to the coaches, no, no, worse than we thought, no, no chance, three months, six months, he's not going to be available. And they're not blaming me. And I can assure you, I've never injured a player as a physio, like, you know. Uh, Actually, I did last year when I was at Everton. I was crossing some balls for the keepers and I whipped one in. It had like, you know, dip and swerve. The young goalie come out. It, had, it was too much for him. And he come out like, and you know, the men you stick in the ground. He fell into that and sprained his ankle really bad. So, <laughs> so I, 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 but I cut him off. I, I, I caused the injury. But <laughs> so, cut him off and rehabbed yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I have actually injured a player. But in terms of that going up every morning with all that bad news, it it does affect you personally. And those guys were my friends, David, and it was Roundy there and Jimmy and Taffy and Chris Woods and that. They are and were my friends. And they weren't really blaming me, obviously, but you do see that disappointment. And, you know, they're not expected to work miracles, but you're the only one they can kind of look at. And I'm telling you, I spoke to lots of physios, and after a while, that grinds you down. And I, I think i just come to the stage where, you know, I say every day of the week, more or less for 18 years, you just need a break, that's all. Because there was a lot of stuff, I think, when you just left about false rumours, you know, was it the Phil Neville? That with the mis mismanagement of his injury. Yeah, that's what it said, but that wasn't actually true, you know. Never let the truth get in the way of a good story. He had a complicated injury, it wasn't easy to manage, it was managed correctly and that, like, you know. He wrote the foreword of the first book, so he couldn't have had any hard feelings, like, you know. <laughs> but um, it, it was just a parting of the ways and that. And I do say that after the hundredth word, sack, 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 sack. <laughs> I do start to soften it and call it a parting of the ways, like, you know. <laughs> so uh, we, we, me and Dave remained good friends the day after um, and, and to this day, and, and we're really good friends, and I'm his biggest fan. I think he's a great fella. I think he's a, ma a magical manager, and now he's been given time He's showing how good he really Flying, is. Like, isn't you know, it? Absolutely. Do you think? Do you think if he'd have been given time, man, you hundred percent do. Yeah, he builds teams and he's careful and he looks after the club's money um, and he builds teams slowly but surely. And he would have been absolutely ideal for the job. Surprised he hasn't been back on the phone. Get you down there? Uh, no, that ship sailed. <laughs> that ship sailed. Um, it was funny because I was at Man United when Dave was there as well and I was with the 21s as a kind of mentor to that squad, not a physio. And it was really strange for me to look across to the first team and see Dave talking with other physios about stuff. And it was really weird because did I want to be there or not? Yes and no. And I even couldn't really understand it and explain it. It was just odd, I guess, like, you know.
when you left Everton, then did you make a conscious decision to step away from all that and look at something different? Like the, the you know, you went into the psychology of young players. Yeah, and... yeah, I did, but you know, somebody said a great thing about football the other day. When you're in it, you want out, and when you're out of it, you want in. And the more I've thought about it, sitting here now, I've just been out with Salford today, playing and joining in training and stuff, and working with the lads and that, and thinking, oh, God, how much longer? How much longer? But as I say, every time I've came out, I've wanted in. But when you're in, you kind of want out, like, you know, it is that sort of a contradiction in terms. I, I guess it mirrors the, the nature of the game. The highs are high and the lows are low. And it's that kind of job anyway. You've all played and stuff like, you know, and you know yourself, you get man on the match, Chris scored a great goal. You're up there, get dragged after 60 minutes, like, you know, and you feel terrible, like, you know, so it, it kind of mirrors the way that football is for us all, I suppose. Did you miss the pressure then? You know, when you went into a job that you didn't really... I think, I know you said, you, you, you could have been what? there or... Uh, yeah, but, you know, it's, it's, this is the weirdest thing, right? So I came out of football and the pressure's gone. So by the time I tumbled down the stairs, literally, and got in my car and my head was spinning that, you know what? On the way home, I'm starting to feel pretty damn good. Because when I say, I say on the thing, I, I went in the next day to clear my desk and uh, one of the players came up and he'd, he'd had surgery. And he went, Baz, he went... I think my wounds had infected. And as he rolled his trouser leg up, if they'd run the day before, I'm telling you, my shirt would have been stuck to my back and the sweat would have been pouring before he got to the wound, like, you know, but it didn't matter anymore. And as he rolled, I said, like, well, it's not my problem anymore now. It wasn't infected and, of course, we'd have sorted him out, like, but that was a great example of that pressure's gone. But you know the, the kind of frightening thing about it? And it, <laughs> I guess it's like a drug, isn't it? After a while, you start missing that pressure. So I started doing like, oh, what's the worst thing you could ever do? Sportsman's dinners. I'll do some sportsman's dinners because that's got to be the highest. And so the trouble with sportsman's dinners, it's a trap that surrounds you from behind. So somebody approaches you and says, oh, will you do a sportsman's dinner next uh, nine months from now? And you say, yeah, because that date next July is never coming. And that money represents nothing more than some easy money for a date that's never coming. <laughs> but that's the trap, you see, because you say yes and then they print the tickets, you're now trapped, you're closed in. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> you might think nine months go slowly, maybe if you were pregnant you probably would, <laughs> but that nine, eight, seven, six on, before you know it, it's the week building up and now you're in trouble. <laughs> you're doing that and people are there. And I got there like that night, it was the doing Preston like, and I'm telling you now, I was 10 times worse than any time I've ever played in my life. And the problem is, you get there at six and then you experience four hours of sheer hell before you go on. <laughs> and I mean, you can't eat. You rearrange the food skillfully so you don't look too nervous and that. And you're waiting. There's a strange phenomenon, though, because like the guy who's getting hanged, after a while, you just want it over and done with. <laughs> you know what I mean? So... I've been wanting the clock to stop for nine months, especially the last three or four days. But now I think, do it, do it, eight o'clock, please be 10 o'clock, please be 10 o'clock. And I'm waiting for it. And then even to this day, if somebody taps a glass with a spoon, my legs go to jelly. <laughs> You're waiting for that. You've all been there, dicky bow people, getting drunk, having a great time. You better be good, Baz. We'll boo if you're not. You think, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> How am I here? How am I here? And then all of a sudden, 10 o'clock, the witching hour, Tap, tap, tap. Right, good evening, gentlemen, the guy gets... Good evening, gentlemen, we're going to start with the main attraction now. Uh, one of the finest after-dinner speaks in the country. I thought, right, I've done none. 
<laughs> Why are you saying I'm one of the finest engineers speaks the crew when I've done none? That's additional pressure. I don't, I, I don't need that pressure. I don't need the pressure. So then he goes, ding, ding, ding. Okay, we're going to get Baz up now, like, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like, uh, but first, get yourself a drink from the bar. I was up. I was halfway up. I was halfway up. Oh, sit back down again. Oh, Jesus Christ, right, you know. So ten minutes later, you're churning now. You, you, you're very close to, I guess, passing out with pressure. Ten minutes later, ting, 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 ting. Everybody stops, looks, turns towards you, like, expectantly. The bloke goes, right, big moment now. So, Bazzy's going to come on now. So, if you want a final cigarette... <laughs> Chris, I was up again. I'm off, I'm off. I'm down again, like, you know. So, I think, oh, God, I never did you any harm. Why are you killing me, like, you know. Ten minutes, six hundred seconds later, like you know, tap 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 on the spoon. Right, finally, we're going to get the uh, after dinner speaker on now. So uh, we'll do the raffle first. <gasps> <laughs> They're ringing me out. They're absolutely <laughs> ringing me out, like you know. And then finally, I got up and it, it went. It, I've got to say, it went amazingly well. It was fantastic. It was the happiest moment of my life. And I got a standing ovation at the end and that. And it was really interesting about comedy. Really interesting because. There was a guy called, um, oh, what's that comedian name who, uh, who was very big in this? Uh, oh, God, the Irish guy who had... Jimmy Cricket? Yes, he had left on his right, well, he right on his left, he had a bowler hat on, he'd come here, come here, and there's more, and there's more. He came on after me, and whether it was relief in me, and I was just laughing aesthetically, everyone was laughing at his joke. So he comes on, he goes, come here, come here, there's more, there's more. He goes, my da, my da back home, he changed every pane of glass in our house before he realised he had a crack in his glasses. So people are <laughs> crying at that, they're crying at that. My ma, my ma, she knitted me, she knitted me three socks because I wrote and said I'd grown an extra foot. <laughs> crying, he goes, my new sat lab, my new sat nav's amazing. I drove past the zoo, it said bare left. People are crying at these jokes and that. But the important point afterwards, he comes to me, he goes, oh, it went really well, that, you did well, and I, I, it went really well, like, you know, I said, oh, you were amazing. He goes, yeah, but he said, there's a golden hour. He said, and the golden hour is, it's to do with drink, and you know, you're only about for a drink. First couple of pints are slow, uh, but between point four and eight, you're having the best time of your life. Eight to 12, you're half dead, aren't you, with your shots? So uh, this golden hour, <coughs> we went on the golden hour. And he said to me, I've done that act either too early or too late and no-one's laughed. So it was really interesting insight into comedy, like, you know. So I started doing that. And you know what? When I thought about it afterwards, I thought, right, why are you doing this? Because if you want that unflappable, no notes, speaking from memory, calm, relaxed anecdotes, never mess up. Because when you do a sportsman's dinner, there's two overwhelming fears. Fear number one is your stuff's rubbish. But a slightly bigger fear is that you'll dry, I think it's called, and freeze on the night. And people have paid 50 quid to hear you speak. It's not your best man's speech at your brother's wedding. This is professional speaking. And if you make a mess of it, they're going to let you know and they're going to let your friends know as well. That Everybody on Twitter, by the way, this guy's hopeless. 50 quid, it was a joke and that, like, you know. <laughs> so, but as I say, when I assessed it afterwards, I thought, why have you done that? You've had all that pressure, you've come out of it, and you've gone back into that. And, you know, I kind of concluded it was that addiction to that pressure. You've had it for so long, every Friday night lying awake at night and driving into the ground on a Saturday night with your hands sweaty on the steering wheel. Now you've got to replace it with a kind of more extreme version. <laughs> so that's where we were. Have you got a uh, newfound respect for me now, lads? 
Well, after the speaking, I could, I could yeah. never do it. I could never do the after dinner. It's, it's no really chance. difficult. I've got, yeah. to, I've got one tomorrow, one Friday. Well, good luck to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. And if anyone wants yeah. to book me, by the way, please do yeah. get in touch. The only thing I'll say is, I did four, and by the fourth, I was eating the odd piece of carrot. <laughs> you know, I was, I was getting a bit of carrot over. Start eating yeah. again. Yeah. So I went from a hundred percent fear to about ninety-seven percent on the fourth one, and the sad thing was. Um, I packed it and then I went back into club football, like, you know. And in a way, I'd done the hard bit. I'd done the hours and hours of rehearsing it so it looks unrehearsed, you know. Um, so I should have really carried on. But uh, it, it went really well. In fact, I was approached by an agent and he said he'd get me work on cable TV, digging out the trenches. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, obviously, in that period, that... Sabbatical, should we call it, away yeah. from, from yeah. football? Post-sacking. You, you, <laughs> you've, you've done a bit of after dinner. I mean, yeah. how, how, what was the period that you were at? Probably, I probably had six months off when I wrote the book. That was a great experience, I, I must say, putting together. I can't explain how marvellous experiences that you would write a book and somebody would want to publish it and that one day your book will be in Waterstones. It's the most amazing experience you can have. I don't know if it's about validation, you know, is it ego? I don't know. As well as your self-doubt as well that you've had probably I, all I your guess, life. Yeah, I guess. And then he um, got to the final three for the British Football Book of the Year and I was at the Savoy with my dicky bow on and I was re rehearsing my speech and I was going to say, it's ironic that all the self-doubt and it's only by writing about the self-doubt, ironically, I've come to the point where I can be accepted and win something and I had my way, I thought, I'll go back round, round that table, through there, that's quite tight, squeeze for there, excuse me, sorry, excuse me, sorry, <laughs> proud but modest, anyway, I never won. <laughs> I never won? I never won? Story of my life. But as I say, it's, it's a marvellous experience, you know, you know, so I'm so thankful for enjoying that experience. What, during this time though, are you... You're wanting to get back into football. And are you waiting for the phone to go? Are yeah. you actively yeah. putting your name out there? Well, it, it's interesting because you think, when I left Everton, you think by the time you get home, there's 50 phone calls. But there's no phone calls because there's only jobs when there's vacancies. So whilst a club might like you to be there, if they've got their medical staff, you can't go there. But by the same degree, things change so quickly, so quickly. And that phenomenon of that like life-changing life phone call. So I've retired for the last five years and give a leaving speech. So five years ago, England won the Euros in Malta. I gave a really nice speech to all the players and that. I got champagne, shirt, card. Then the year after, I stayed on the year because I thought, well, if you keep leaving, you get like stuff and that like, you know. <laughs> so, so I've done another year, left again. Shirt and card. I thought, I'll let you off with the champagne. Well, I didn't get the champagne the second time. Stayed another year for stuff. Third time, <laughs> uh, was coming back from the uh, England Games in Northern uh, Brittany, left, gave the speech, which I'm very good at by now. Just got a moon pig card. <laughs> so the prints are, the speech is getting better, the prints are going out. Anyway, then I went to uh, Forest, and I could only stay a year there. And uh, I left at the end, and they got me some prints. So I was doing the speech, but I saw they bought me a really expensive Paul Smith leather bag. So I kind of hurried the speech because you want to Google the value of the bag, don't you? <laughs> so, it's not about the money. Anyway, thanks very much. You've been great. Google. Paul Smith, bag. Jesus Christ, 899 quid, buzzing. You know? <laughs> and a watch, by the way. And then I moved um, 
to Everton then and left and, and got like a, a £600 Hugo Boss voucher and a watch as well. You know, so I'm kind of moving on now, like, you know, and getting like loads of different stuff. But, but, in, but in terms like of... Like a magpie. Like a magpie, yeah. But in terms of that life-changing stuff, so I left all them clubs and I looked at my wife and I said, it's our time now. So I'd left... Um, Wigan. I left Wigan and we was on the beach with my wife and I'm looking at and I think, you know what, I've been away so many times and I'm, I'm, I'm 59 years of age. I've had a good innings now and it's time for us to do those things, to go on those holidays, to walk the dog and just to be together and, and grow old gracefully together. Like, you know, so I'm sat on the beach in Marbella thinking, you know, it's mine and Julie's time now. Phone's ringing. Dave Weir. Baz, it's Dave Weir. Will you come to Nottingham Forest as head physio? On my way. <laughs> <laughs> she can wait. She can wait. <laughs> on, on a serious note, though, did, did she have to take some adjustment to you being in the house all the time? Not really, because I was kind of doing other things. I went into Preston for a little bit as well soon after that, and I started doing the England work, which actually meant I was away a lot because it's all like uh, overseas camps orientated. So not so, but we're, we're best friends. We got on fantastically well anyway, like, you know. But she knows that I do need stroke like to work and that like, you know. In fact, she was trying to get me a, a job in Brisbane the other day, which I thought was amazing. <laughs> I thought, that's, isn't that supportive? Brisbane, Australia? Yeah, 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 I'm just yeah. thinking, is there, is there that, a place near yeah. Blackburn called no, Brisbane? No, no. Isn't that supportive? <laughs> but, you know, so there you go. But no, she, she understands it and I, I do love to work and you need to work. And and do you know what? At the end of the day, I'm at Salford now. I, I keep calling it Bradford. I'm at Salford now. I, I love it. And people say, oh, what are you saying? What, you're only for two weeks at first. But you know when people you really like ask you to stay and when the players ask you to stay, that is a very, very powerful thing and it's very hard to turn down. Uh, so I said I would stay. You know, it's as simple as that. And, you know, we all want to be wanted. Uh, and I say it's very hard to turn that down. Mm. So You mentioned the Preston uh, when you came back and helped Jack, oh, who was yeah. head physio at the time. Yeah. You used to take all the... It was the warm-ups and the, with the yeah. rehab, a lot of the rehab. Yeah. And you were fitter than every single one of us. <laughs> well, did, that, did that continue at uh, Man yeah, U, England? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's been, I've, I've been outside the Times a couple of times at Salford, you know, to be perfectly honest. But you know what I started doing? <laughs> you know what I started doing? When I got to 50, I decided I would run around the training pitch in 50 seconds. And then every year, so uh, a couple of days ago, actually, on my 63rd birthday, I ran around the training pitch at Salford in 61 seconds, actually. A bit smaller than Finch Farms, full-size Goodison pitch. I've done it last year and the year before. So I've always managed to, what will that one I don't do? I don't know. In a funny kind of way, that extra second is getting easier every year. So I, I, I do <laughs> like to keep strong. I, I do like to keep myself fit. And I say in the book, there's probably a darker side to that. Can't you do the job from the side? Can't you do the jog, job while jogging by the players? Yes, you can. But the kind of sad answer to that is, while I can run at the front and do the sprints and feeding the board and the one-twos and the shots with the players, the fact that I can't turn on a laptop doesn't really matter. The fact I don't know what a paradigm is or pre-activation is, I thought that was in you. You didn't last long at six, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> like, you know? But I don't know what that stuff means. I don't know the new stuff. But at the moment, it doesn't matter because I'm at the front running with the players out in the rain, knocking the balls, yeah. doing the one-twos, doing the shuttles. So in a kind of funny way, it kind of shields you from the modernity of stuff. And that's sort of the thread of the second book, isn't it? Gradually growing older. And you know, like... When I started getting to Birmingham's team when I was 17, it always said, and the 19-year-old fullback, he said, drive me mad. He said, well, what's the big deal? Well, to get in the team at 19 is good in the top division, but at 17, it's bloody fantastic. Yeah. 
and all my life I had that and that kind of spurred the second book I remember once I was playing for Blackburn in an FA Cup game fifth round at Goodison of all places and apparently said on the radio Trevor Stephen and Gary Stevens working the ball down the right taking advantage of the ageing legs of the veteran Rathbone 24 I was 20 <laughs> 24 I was, you know. So I've always had people thinking you're older. And that, so, so I had an operation on my knee and I was like 52 and it was a big operation and I thought, right, I'm going to have to join a gym. So I joined the gym in Whitton Park in Blackburn and I went in and there were a couple of nurses there. There must have been some health kit going on, Blackburn and Darwin Council. And I went in, morning ladies, and they went, oh, excuse me, sir, are you heart attack or angina? <laughs> Heart attack. I said, I'm 10k in 36 minutes, actually. <laughs> and then on the way out three months later, I got friendly with some lovely old guys who might have been younger than me. On the way out, we works Baz, have you got a minute? I've been watching you on the on the run, treadmill and that like, you know, would you like to join our walking football team? So, oh, Jesus Christ, <laughs> like, you know. And I always had this thing about people looking older, looking older. And then I tell that story about when I was at Man United, um, I looked after the lads on loan. And uh, we had a connection with the team in Antwerp, Royal Antwerp. I thought I'd go over and watch our two lads play on a Friday night. I went over, Man United suit and all that like, you know. I get to the game, they won 5 0. And Belgian people like a beer, don't they? So I go in the, the lounge after, and people are pissed, basically. That's great, they won 5 0. They're pissed. I go in like, and you know, when you're a little bit famous, not really, but a little bit, you are aware of a kind of nudge, nudge going on, like, you know, and I thought, oh, it's happening here, like, you know, as my book. <laughs> Made it. <laughs> I'll never forget it. I had my reading glasses on as well. And I'm in there, like, you know, I've got my Man United suit, reading glasses on. And eventually, after the nudging, a fan comes over, unscrunches a team sheet, and he goes, uh, will, will, you, will you sign, please? And uh, I said, oh, yeah, OK, yeah, best wishes. I thought, bossing, like, you know. And he goes, uh, thank you, Sir Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. I was 54, you know, a lovely fella, great player, great human being. But he's 80. He was 74 at the same time. <laughs> I Googled it like, you know, 74, like, you know. Did you, uh, did you correct him that you weren't? No, no, no. No, no you take thought, it, don't you? I thought, I'll take the glory and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and probably have a hair transplant. <laughs> so, <laughs> Did you get out on the pitch at United? Did you test yourself against the, the first time? Well, when you go into a new club, you want to make a good effect, don't you? And I went into this kind of poorly... I, did, I didn't enjoy it, Man United. I said it in the book. It's a great club. People were great to me. But it was kind of... You know, when I was at Everton, you're the head of the medical. You were on the pitch. You're, de you're defined. That's your role. It's invaluable. The meeting can't start without Baz. He runs on the pitch. We get that. And now we're going to these kind of less well-defined um, roles. And I won these roles at Manchester United. And the club's great. The people were amazing to me in that. But I weren't really feeling that like, you know. So I went in on my first day and uh, Warren Joyce was there, a good mate of mine. He goes, come on, Baz, out on the pitch, get changed. And that like, you know. So I go into the training pitch with the 21s it was and there's some great players like Michael Keane and Sam Johnson and Jan Hussey and Jesse Lingard, some really, really top players who were like 20 in them days. And we start with a box and I'm on the outside of the box like, you know. And I'm thinking, oh, my heart's pounding, like, you know, in case I give the ball away, this frail old guy, like, you know. <laughs> anyway, the ball goes to Jesse Lingard. He shovels a bad pass to me, like, you know. <laughs> yeah. And they close in on me, the two in the middle. Anyway, 
back through Makeda's legs and across the box, like, you know. And we had to stop. Everyone was laughing so much. We had to stop, like, you know. Anyway, then we go over to the next pitch to finish off with some hard running. And we do, like, the... Uh, it, it's called the, uh, the the width pitch, the width run. And uh, there's Nicky Button and Joyce. And this is a race between two players, right? I want to see a winner, like, you know. I think, well, this would be interesting to see the levels of these lads compared to Everson's senior players. So I'm standing there, like, the pair off, like, you know. And the run is from the sideline, first 18 and back, first six and back, far six and back, far 18, far line and back. Got Buster, eyeballs out, I want winners. Butty's saying, I want winners. I'm thinking, interesting. Be interesting. Anyway, next news, Shinikagawa comes across, like, you know, uh, Warren, can I, I? I've been out uh, for three weeks. Can I do extra? He went, yeah, yeah. You have to run against Baz. <laughs> Everyone was laughing their heads <laughs> off, like you know what I mean. You know. So anyway, we're last to go. We're the last race, the last feature of the day, and they do all the runs and the eyeballs out, like you know. Anyway, we kind of bow, like you know, because obviously Japanese bow, and then off we go. I felt great, you know, like when you're running in a vacuum, and it seemed I waited all my life for this day. <laughs> anyway, we're there. I feel like, you know when you can lift a car off your child? You felt like that. You know what I mean? Lift the car off the kid, pull the kid out like, you know. I felt fantastic. And I had him and I knew it. And I knew I had him. I could hear him breathing heavy now. But I'm running through this kind of vacuum state. And now the lads are shouting for Baz. Everyone's laughing. Go on, Baz. Go on, Baz. We hit the final line. Final. All I've got to do now is get back to glory. And I changed gear and I was like 15. I used to be a really good runner when I was at school, like, you know, one of the Birmingham schools, 800 metres and that, like, you know. And it was those days again. And I, I, I just left him and ran home. And <laughs> left I, him for dead? Yeah, for dead, yeah. And to be fair, <laughs> everyone laughed and he was laughing as well, like, you know. And, <laughs> he must have thought, fuck it, I've had three weeks off. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I bet the England stuff was good. I know it was it was part time on it. Was it? It, it was amazing. And was it <laughs> under under seventeen. It was only seventeen the first few years, um, and then we did the nineteens. We won the Euros twice, and I talk about a lot that that experience in Malta and to win the Euros for your country. And I say, was it better than Champions League at Everton? Was it better than the Pros at Preston? Was it better than getting to the FA Cup final, beating Man U on pens at Wembley? It was because it's your country, it's the lions on your chest and that like, you know. And when you're on the out, I used to do all the fitness for duty forms for your Rodwells and your James Vaughan. The thing, yeah, there you go, done. Email it off and that without even giving a minute's thought about where they were going, what it meant to them, what they were up to and that with the 17s or 19s or 20s, whatever it was. And then when I got in it, you realise how absolutely amazing it is to work for your country. And I'll tell you, wherever you go over Europe, those... That, that shirt is the most powerful, most sought-after shirt in the world. And everywhere you go, it makes you so proud to be English and then a part of that, like, you know. Not mentioning any names, but, you know, obviously at that age, a few young lads earning big money. Any come with a chip on the shoulder? No, they were fantastic. And, you know, it's really interesting, though, because my first year was the 94s. So we had Raheem Sterling and we had Jordan Pickford and we had uh, Ward Prowse and we had Nathan Redmond. 
And now you now I'm starting to struggle. Nick Powell, uh, Tyler Blackett. Now I'm running out of players. So those forty players we used that year who were the best, and we got to the semis in Novosad in Serbia. Holland beat us and went on to win it. We should have won that game probably. But you've named them players now, and now you're struggling. And a lot of those players, I Googled them recently, and it, there's nothing wrong with playing National League, North or South at all. It's a great standard. But a lot, a lot of those players who were deemed to be the best of their generation at 16, 17, they've now dropped down to that level, like, you know. Mm. And that's the nature of it. That's how competitive football is. What's, what's the, the uh, sorry, Chris, hey, you know, what's the, because in our youth team, we speak about a lot about getting, and we're speaking about it off air, about managers in your face. You know, if, you, if, having a shit half they come in at half time and give people bollockings yeah how because I know England have been successful the last few years how was it with, with the staff there was it uh, John Peacock was manager absolutely amazing your favourite uncle everything's done to I mean these men are children because they're 16 17 you know so it, it, it's it's a, it's a it's a very sympathetic approach as of course it should be uh, they were amazing with those kids how they they nurtured them never raise their voices, nothing like that. It was absolutely fantastic. From a personal point of view as well, like at the time when you weren't too sure where you were going to go with your career to go to all them countries, mm. seeing all seeing all those sites. And, you know, countries that you, though. It, it, it did at the time because I was doing that kind of one-on-one -on -one work and the book and that like, you know, so it fitted in really nicely. And the thing about England, who gets to go to Sarajevo? Who gets to go to Tbilisi? Who gets to go to Yerevan? You know, you go into places like that and all of history and stuff like that. I've got so, no idea where any of them three... Okay. Are. I'll, I'll be honest with okay. you. Well, go through... Yeah, yeah. Go through Bolton. <laughs> Keep going through the Far East, Skegness, <laughs> and then go across Europe, go across the Caspian Sea, and you'll find them all there. So you've got that, like, great experience of travelling as well. Places that you wouldn't visit. Who gets to go to Sarajevo and that, like, you know... and. I love history in that light, you know, to stand on the spot where essentially the First World War started and that light, you know, see all the history, the bullet holes, all the graves and that. Then that juxtaposition of right next door is where Torvaling Dean won the goal with Bolero in the ice rink next door. <laughs> it's just amazing to think, God, how am I here? Like, you know. I can't imagine the young lads were, were taking that well, in and appreciating it as much. <laughs> well, we had a meeting one day and John Peacock says, right, everybody, well done. And it's gone really well. And we're off tomorrow and everybody's off and we're going to have a nice down day so show of hands we're going by where the uh most people want to go so uh option one there's the um museum to the genocide in, in 1916 i think it was i don't want to get this wrong uh, allegedly the turks massacred a million armenians there's a new genocide um museum he said we can either go there that's pretty new like you know we can go there or uh, number two uh, about 20 minutes from here there's uh uh the the, the uh the, the what is it the, the abbey of called the Gegrok Abbey, and it's, a, it's a, a cave with an abbey built into the cave where apparently the, the spear that pierced Christ was for 500 years. One of the Armin is the oldest Christian country, uh, and you can go to these caves and see where that spear was kept and that light, you know. I thought, oh, my God, who gets to absorb all that? Option three, we can go down to the Mall. Anyway, 20 minutes later, we're sat having an Armenian cake and a coffee and the lads... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the lads are... Dick, in yeah, shop. Yeah, the lads are in Zara and Mitt Monsoon. <laughs> we're, we're sat there like, you know, so... <laughs> But as I say, <laughs> it, is, it is really interesting, like, you know, and uh, me and Simon Smith, we, we take the goalies out sometimes when nobody else was training. And in Sarajevo, we took the it would have maybe Angus Gunn, I don't know who the goalies were, Angus Gunn and maybe Dean Henderson. Me and Smith take them out and do a load of extra goalkeeping and that. And the ball kept going over 
um, or, or by the side of the goals into the field. And I'd climb over. He's really nice. People are so friendly. There's a guy on the hill, like, you know, waving away. And I'm waving away. And every time I go over, it's waving away. And I'm waving away. Hello. And that, you know, eventually he comes running down. And he goes, that field's not been cleared for mines. <laughs> <laughs> You're the trusted in getting balls. <laughs> it goes back to that, doesn't it? The fucking expensive them balls, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, 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 when you were in yeah, England, yeah. them balls are expensive. If one of them balls bounces on that, <laughs> that ball could be lost. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So what what was your role at Man United? It was a kind of uh when I went there, they said, find your own way, find where you think you can fit in. It was a kind of mentoring role based on the book and that kind of... And it was... It, I didn't feel the role. The people there were fantastic. The, the nicest... It's a, what a club. I wouldn't... How could you say anything about it? But I weren't feeling that role. Uh, and it was really interesting because a lot of new stuff would come into football and me being a dinosaur, I was kind of rejecting it in those days. I wouldn't so much now and I'd respect that role, but I didn't feel that role and that. And one day <laughs> I was giving the under-14s a, a, a talk on how to get the best night's sleep, for God's sake, like, you know. And we're saying, oh, you know, yeah, switch your devices off early. Did you bring your book in? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Go on, have, you, have your last one no. at seven o'clock. <laughs> no, we wanted to wake up eventually. <laughs> and I'm giving the talk and obviously close the curtains and switch. So I'm thinking, for God's sake. And I'm giving the lads a talk and they're like, you know, and one of the, their coaches was a famous old man, you legend, bringing the class of 92 through. And I caught his eyes and I saw into his eyes and he's looking back at me and I know what he's thinking. He's thinking, what the effing else this come to? And do you know what? I was thinking it myself. So I just didn't really feel the role. But when I look back now, it's, it's a very valuable role. And I went on the training pitch every day and I joined in. At the start of the season, I'll sit the lads down and say, right, right. I'm Baz, uh, I've had a career, I've made a lot of mistakes and suffered a lot with nerves and that like, you know, if you want to come and chat and share stuff, come and see me. I'll never mention this again. I went out on the training pitch every day and sometimes I maybe take the defenders from heading, so I made myself busy out on the training pitch. I went and watched all the lads on loan all over Europe, all over the country. So I kind of found some um, viability in the role, but I just felt that, oh, it's a kind of non-role and that, like, you know. But when I look back now, it, it wasn't so much. And a couple of players who, I see Michael Keane uh, at Everton, and we talk about them days, I watched him play for Leicester a lot. He went on loan at Leicester. He said, yeah, it was really good, that, like, to have somebody to talk to and stuff. And a couple of lads who I worked with at Man United, like, you know, and they said, it was really good that knowing there was somebody there to talk to. So I probably undersold myself and the role. It was probably a bit avant-garde for the time. And I think now most clubs have got somebody doing that role, like, you yeah. know. I, I tell you this incredible story. I, the, the book's about fate as well and all these things happening. So I get a job at Man United. We, we have a player who goes on loan to Birmingham. So I go back to the killing fields of St Andrews. And this lads, it's incredible. It's incredible. <laughs> so I'm there 45 years on, 40 years on. The killing fields. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, 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 yeah. And do you know what's worse about that? The worst about getting stick off your hometown is they're your people. Yeah. And you know what the fans are like? Well, we pay you money, we'll boo if we want. I said, yeah, but you're my parents. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's the worst. Just to, add, just to add some context, if anybody who's not listened to the first one, obviously, yeah. playing at, at Birmingham. I had, a, I had a difficult time at Birmingham, my hometown club. All my fault, all my problem, all my perceptions of how massive and everyone looking at you. So I go back to Man United, and this player's playing left-back that I played. It's unbelievable. And he's not playing well. 
it was against Blackburn. Gary Bowie, I think, took the team. We talked about it the other day. They were four nil down at half time. The lad got taken off, like you know, um, the incredibility is that a word of going back all them years later, mentoring a lad in that number three shirt who was getting a load of stick. It's unbelievable. At half time, I went in. Some really old guys came up and they went, Mickey Rathbone, and I said, Wow! I said, Good spot. Yeah, we were just saying what a good player you were. I said, right. I said, I'm the worst player Birmingham have ever had in their career. <laughs> the worst player. And they went, no, nah, we were saying she'd never have told, sold you and Trevor Francis. Like, you know, so the, the, the bottom line is there. People don't even, A, they don't know who you are, and B, the ones who do can't remember anything anyway. So <laughs> I, I played 450 games. So that's 450 sleepless nights, you know. For what? I can't even remember them. They can't remember them. They think I was a great player. So, and, and that's what we do, don't we? we? We bring it all on ourselves and that, and we think everyone's looking at you. And I used to say to the lads who were struggling with it all and that, I say, you know, maybe I'd meet a lad from, let's say, Berry, and, oh, God, I was so in a pressure, the pressure, the pressure. I say, right, next time you sit in your car, put Berry's ground on. Bit of a, uh, a poor choice, Betty, because unfortunately they're not in the league. So put, put Oldham's ground on, like, you know, turn it to the left and zoom out and see how quite kind of small that ground is in Oldham. Go out again and see how small Oldham is in Greater Manchester. Go out again, see how small, tiny, infinitely small that is in the north of England. Go again. England's a tiny, tiny country in Europe. Go again, see how small Europe is in, in the west. Keep going, keep going. Look at the world now and realise that actually, who cares? Who knows who that like? You know what I mean? And when I was at Everton the first time, and if we had a bad week, and, and sometimes things don't go well, the old dog would say to me, Oh, well, Baz, he goes, At the end of the day, we're just ants crawling out the crawling around the world. We're all going to die. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? This is the dog. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Who cares, if he, who cares if he dies of that injection? I've just given him no. But, you know, <laughs> but there was a great truth in what he said. Because at the end of the day, it is just a game and people don't really want to hear you say that, oh, it's life and death and I can't eat my tea and that. But I can only, my lad plays for Rotherham now, and I text him before every game, run and smile. And if he takes you to, well, he's already been at Man U. <laughs> if he takes you to Barcelona, great. If he takes you to the pub team, great. As long as you run and smile and do your best. Who really cares? And you know what? If you play for the pub team, and a lot of the lads I saw who were struggling, the footballers and that, when we came down to it, the option of going out the game, and what if you go out the game? I met a player once. Oh, I'm not playing well. I'm really enjoying it. I feel under pressure. The money's on my back. My parents are, oh, it's a nightmare. The agent's on my back. Oh, it's a nightmare. I can't cope. I can't cope. I can't cope. Right, give them an escape. So you're telling me that if you don't play better in three months' time, you're out the game. And where will you go from there? He said a, a non-league team. And what will happen there? Because, well, it's good there'll be 500 on there and the, man, uh, the, the, the owner gets you a job and he's factoring that. I said, well, the thing that you're terrified about doesn't actually sound that bad. All the pressure's gone. You're still playing and earning three or four hundred pounds a week, would it be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've got a nice, easy job as well. So the thing that you're terrified of is not that terrifying. And when you give them that kind of exit, all of a sudden, yeah, you know what? It's not that bad because actually I can get out. There is life beyond it. But when you're in it, you can't see anything other than the game. I, play, I didn't play well. I didn't play well. Oh, my God, all the people are pointing at me, which they're not. We've ascertained that, haven't we? Like, you know. So mm. I think it really helped in that way. And I think when I was 
a young player, I really would have benefited from that. Like, you know, I was just going to say a lot of the well, the fair few jobs that you went into Wigan and Blackpool, it was going into a struggling club, yeah. not just a struggling team, a struggling club, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was really difficult, and I've been really lucky because. I was always with winning teams and that, and I went in there kind of late on for short periods of time only because of the England work. And you saw the other side of the coin. And I say in the book, you know, a, a, a losing team stinks and a winning team smells great. And you soon smell that. And it's like nobody's fault, really. It, it, it's, it's often expectations, new managers, changing managers. I don't want him. I want them six. You, you don't train with us in, out and all that kind of stuff like, you know. And I saw that at Wigan, and, and and I saw it at Blackpool, and that, and the managers get they we're only human, aren't we? The managers, Warren Joyce was at, then Graham Bader took over, and it was Clark who was really good, and Tomo, you'll know Tomo as well, good guys doing their best, couldn't get results, you know, and you know five at the back, four at the back, three at the back, run them, don't run them, days off, no days off, shout at them, don't shout at them, lads on load, young lads in trying everything but unfortunately not really been able to turn it around because the team weren't just quite good enough and that's no disgrace it's really interesting because the narrative has to be you're at the bottom so you're shit and you don't care and you don't try you don't try but I was there and we did care and we weren't shit and we just weren't quite as strong as other teams but that always becomes a narrative doesn't it like mm. you know and I saw that at those two clubs and, I, and, and you know yourself it's We've all lost in the last kick of the game. And I'm telling you, we all know it. there's nothing as bad as that feeling is. Like, you know, and you feel sick and they're all jumping in front of you there, dug out and celebrating and that. And you feel sick and you want to grab them and you want to punch them. And the feeling won't go away for, you know, it's three days of this now. And I experienced that on those two occasions. Tell, could you tell us about the when it kicked off at Blackpool? It was incredible. It, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do, do you know what, mate? It was the most frightening thing I've ever seen in my life in football. And I've been around. I've been on the end of some rollickings. And, you know, and we were playing Millsborough at home. The pitch was terrible. And it was really funny. I had to crank her. I worked with Laser at Forest. He was the manager of uh, Middlesbrough. And we weren't expected to win. They were top, we were bottom. And it was a Tuesday night. The pitch was terrible, like, you know. Anyway, they were winning one. Now, we got a goal back late on, I think, you know, we think we're going to get some out of the game here, like, you know, and then with a minute to go, as is always the case, ball in, looping header, I think, or if, I don't know what it was, over Joe, the keeper, like, you know, and in the net and that, like, and that's it again, 93rd minute, they're all going mad next to us, fair enough, probably overdoing it, but, you know, they were euphoric and that feeling of the knife and that sickness and that dread and we got back in the dressing room and I, I told this story because you shouldn't really talk about the dressing room, but I felt that because... The narrative is that you don't care, you're shit, you don't care about the fans. I thought I would tell this story, like, you know, and it all kicked off, and um, Jamie O'Hara had been brilliant for us. He'd done everything. He'd play with a bad ankle for games. He'd been our best player, and he started having a go at the goalie about him being sloppy, cost us the game. You know, it's raw. This is effing visceral. This ain't like three days like oh, you couldn't, but this is absolute raw. This is a valuable point gone to nothing. You know, and it kicked off and he's shouting him and he's shouting back and then Clarky gets involved and people were taking sides and I've never seen it where the whole thing nearly kicked off. It went beyond a scuffle. People were taking sides and it was horrible and I was quite scared and that like, you know. But but in the midst of it, like something really funny happened, like, you know, and Joe Lewis is a great guy, he's doing really well in Scotland now, and he's a mild mannered guy. 
but this his blood was up and, and the gloves were off like metaphorically. He was a goalkeeper. Like, you know, <laughs> and like, you know, should have like, fucking left the money, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, like uh, when you're in a hurry, could never be in one. But I've read about them. The winds, <laughs> the winds go through and destroy everything. Then you're in the eye, and then there's that like silence, that calm for a minute. But you know, the winds coming again, like the other side of the thing. And then it went really quiet. And, and Clark, he was there, like you know, at Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe and Joe was sat there, but Joe's blood was up. Joe's a fantastic guy, and Joe, Joe, Joe I, 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 I'll spell that one too like, But Joe Clark, he was like holding himself, but you know, and it was horrific. But we, it, it, the winds had abated. It was in that like eye of the storm and that. And Joe goes to Clark. He, he goes, "You are a effing cunt." Clark, he just like stood there, like I stood there, glaring at him, like you know, didn't bat an eyelid. And then <laughs> Joe goes, "You are a piece of shit." <laughs> yeah, and, and, and again, Clarky, just there, just there, just there. You are, a, 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 I don't know, a horrible. I can't remember what it was. Horrible, horrible piece of crud. You know what I mean? <laughs> Clarky didn't bat an eyelid. And then <laughs> Joe goes, "You are an amateur." He goes. Amateur, <laughs> amateur, <laughs> and I burst out laughing. So yeah, piece of shit. Yeah, all day long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in Yeah, I'm having that like you know, worst human being on the planet. Yeah, why not? Amateur, <laughs> amateur. <laughs> then it kicked off again, and they had to be separated. And I'll tell you what. Honestly, I would. I, I, I tell the story. Lee Clark was brilliant. Every, they were great, Jamie Harder, Joe, they were such good guys. But I'm telling you, I'm telling the fans, that's what it's like. So when you think, players don't give a shit, <laughs> it's not like that. It's not, we want to do well for ourselves, but we want to do well for the fans and the manager and that like, you know. And that was the worst I've ever seen in 45 years in a dressing room. And there was a couple of minutes where I thought, this is getting out of hand and people separated. It, it, the whole thing nearly kicked off and that like, you know. It stopped and kind of peace was restored of a kind. And the next day, we all came in at a meeting and Lee Clark was brilliant. He brought it all back with, with a little bit of self-deprecating humour uh, 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 and some very wise words and that like, you know. And it, they did it brilliantly, him and Tomo. They brought everybody back on side because I drove home that night and I was shaking, honestly. Oh, it was frightening, like, you know. Uh, I've never seen anything like that where, where it nearly the whole thing imploded and that. But the next day, Clark, he was fantastic. And he asked all the players one by one, what's the problem, what's the problem? And little um, little Perkins, David Perkins, he played with Oliver He's a great guy. He was at Wigan with me as well and that, like, you know. And the man said to him, Perks, come on, you've been around. You were very highly respected in the dressing room and that. What do you think? And Perks just said, at the end of the day, we're just not quite good enough. And you know what? That was it. We tried. We, we prepared. We watched... We, we, we trained, we, we worked on their shape, we watched analysis, you know, we went to bed early, we had pre-match meal, we warmed up properly. At the end of the day, you know, like, I don't think anyone's saying that, you know, the, the Norwich manager or the man, they're bad people. No one's saying Sean Dyche is a bad money for sure, but Sean Dyche hasn't quite, with respect, got a stronger team as Pep Guardiola's got. So he's living down there, isn't he? Although he's had amazing success. And that's the reality of the situation. But sometimes I think people don't want to hear that. They're shit. They don't care. Disgrace, disgrace a lot. Yeah, you don't care. I think that's that's exactly it. I know you said it's probably the worst thing you've ever seen in football, but Clark, yeah. he's probably gone away that night and thought, 
I've enjoyed that. You know, at yeah. least they're giving a bit. Yeah. You know, yeah. They're not just sat yeah. there like, oh, another yeah. loss. They care. And, and as I say, it, it was kind of the perfect storm and it had been brewing, it had been coming and the defeat and that sick feeling. And just the way it came, I talk about the waves out to sea, every now and again, just sequence of events that forms a hundred foot wave and that light, you know, and that night on that pitch in the dark and it was an element of them over-celebrating. It was an element of the, we didn't expect anything out of the game there, top of the league. We nearly got a point. It was an element of the, the weather was terrible all week in training and it was just everything came together that night and produced that. But, as I, as I say, nobody's fault, no one to blame. People who cared too much in a way, because if you don't care, you don't have that, yeah. do you? You can take yeah. that, can't you? Absolutely. That, the analogy yeah. yeah. is as long as everybody everybody cares, yeah. we yeah. just weren't quite good mm. enough. Yeah. As I say, you know, you don't get that if people don't care. Mm. Did you have uh, John Joe Kenny in them youth teams? Yeah, I've got great memories of John Joe. And of course, when I went back to Everton, I seen him a lot. He was... Uh, Oh, God, everything to be admired in a young player. In fact, funnily enough, before we won the Euros in Malta in, oh, God, I can't remember, near, about five, five, six years ago, we had an England training camp. We played Belgium at St George's Park in probably the March, and uh, he was playing right back, right in front of the dugout. He went up for a ball, landed awkwardly, crack, and I ran on two yards from him. He's lying on his back, like, you know, and obviously he's broken his collarbone, like, and he looked up at me and he gritted his teeth and he goes, Baz, lad, you'd better get me fit for that fine than summer, lad. <laughs> and I said to him, <laughs> you'll score the winning goal. And do you know what? He scored the winning goal from the penalty spot. Yeah. And that team that won the Euros had some really good players in like Joe Gomez captained it and uh, we had like Adam Armstrong and Solanke and Josh Onamer and Patrick Roberts and Louis Cook and forgive me if I've missed some players out. And we had a terrific, a, a, they called it like a 10-year high, a 10-year good team. Like, And they won the World Cup, I think a year or two later, like, you know. And we won it on penalties over there. And as I said before, that was the most amazing experience because you're doing it for your country, like, you know. And back at the home. Being part team, of that. Yeah. Oh, it was amazing. It was with pride. Oh, it was yeah. amazing, like. And, you know, the final whistle goes and obviously on loop, it's we are the champions, we are the champions. And back to the hotel, champagne for the staff. <laughs> I was about to ask that. What does yeah, it, you know, if you're yeah. in the under-17s, how do the lads celebrate? Like, just Milk. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it, we'll stop up till four on PlayStation. No, there's that, there's that uh, oh, God, what's it called? That drink that's like, oh, that they drink it in uh, Malta. It's like a Coca-Cola flat stuff. Begins with them. It was them for the lads anyway, but champagne. It was, it was amazing. You know what? Really emotional. And when we got off the bus and went in, it was, it was a big hotel and uh, called the Seacrest in Malila Bay. And there were mainly British holidaymakers in there. And when we uh, we walked in there after the game, everybody stood and started clapping. And I'll tell you, it brings the tears to your eyes and that like, you know. One of the best memories of that trip, it's really funny because only eight get to the finals, seven plus the host. And I felt our name was on that. And when I looked at the groups, obviously Malta are one of the eight. I looked at the groups and we were drawn in the four with Malta. Match day one, Malta. Now, you should beat Malta. So you're going into your second game against Turkey, commanding the group. Germany were favourites in that. And as I say, like, you know, Germany always have an extra boss, more staff, nice tracksuits, just loads of stuff and like. And there is something about Germans who it's an amazing cup. We've all been there. Amazing footballers, sports people and like. But there is a little bit of something that rubs us up the wrong way, isn't it? I don't know what it is, you know, but uh they got knocked out by Scotland. It was unbelievable. Scotty, Scotty Gemmel managing Scotland, ex-Everton, like, you know, and they knocked him out. And uh, 
I'll never forget this. The next morning, they left, obviously, you know, eight teams become four in the hotel, four teams become two in the hotel as the tournament commences. And the day that Germany left in their two team buses with all their gear... Oh, so you all stop in the same hotel? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you stay in the same hotel, right. yeah. So it's all a bit odd, awkward, almost like, you know. But that day I was out on my mobile phone and the Germans left. And I'll never forget, as long as I live, it was like an uh, English-British Typical, you know, holiday hotel, like, you know. And as a German coach pulled away, there were dozens and dozens of Brits, all sunburned backs and Union Jack shorts, <laughs> out in the road, giving them the Vs. Brownie. Fuck off. Brownie. Uh, Grown-ups. Toddlers, <laughs> grandparents, all, all fantastically involved in the giving it <laughs> Oh my God, I'm telling you, that is one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life, mate. <laughs> Unbelievable, mate. <laughs> God. Oh dear. Uh, just jumping back a little bit, just back to Man United, because obviously you entering the club the club that is Man United during that massive transit because yeah. Sir Alex would have been there in absolutely this year, yeah and yeah you'd have been you were there for that that period yeah. the old transition yeah and everything could yeah. I mean for for David Moyes I imagine did you think it were like a poison chalice at the time following looking back yeah but it's really interesting like all through my life it always seems to be everywhere I am things are happening and that so I went into Man United for Ferguson's last five months uh, and then Dave came in. Uh, and then obviously Van Hall came in the year later, like you know. So I experienced in those. I was only there two years. All that change and that, and it was really interesting because we've seen it all with AC Milan and we've seen it with Barcelona now. These unbeatable dynasties, it does end eventually. And whoever came in after Ferguson, it, I believe would have. I don't even want to say David failed. You know, it was a period of transition. So I'm not saying he failed. Would have found it difficult whoever would have came in like you know and I believe if Dave would have been another year things would have been okay and he would have turned it round but I say it was almost that it had to be that way there had to be that kind of period of grieving after what nearly 30 years of Ferguson and that like you know and as I say I saw Dave and he, he did everything the same and picked similar players and stuff and nothing really happened different it was just that that dynasty was in like the Romans and all the great dynasties it went into decline and it's very hard to turn they're still finding it hard now aren't they like you know mm -hmm. they had their glory 20 years didn't they and now it's maybe somebody else's now they'll get back there eventually won't they mm. but it's not going to be easy it takes time to turn it round how impressive was he Sir Alex oh unbelievable you know on that first day when I'd nutmegged Jesse across <laughs> McCade across the box won the run on the way in I'm going in and Sir Alex is holding the door and he goes, ah, Mick, come in, come in, Mick, come in. He holds the door for me, like, you know. And he's with Tony Strudley, who's a good friend of mine, who's an amazing fitness coach. He goes, Mick, I was just telling uh, Strudders about how you slaughter fitness coach in your first book, which I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't. But I thought to myself, oh, my God, he's taken the trouble to flick through that book. And I was saying the book, he's the most amazing guy I've ever met. And you know that, oh, he knows everybody. I thought, oh, yeah, well, he don't. But he did. He knew everybody's name. Everybody who was at Carrington, he knew their names. And I, I just assumed he'd be a miserable bugger who shouted at everybody. He weren't. He could not have been anything other than what I perceived him to be. He was always charming, smiling. He could hold court or he could sit back and listen. He had an incredible knowledge of... He was telling me one day about the coffee machine and that. 
amazing guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was getting a cup of coffee. He goes, yeah, hey, it costs a lot of money. You know why? But, you know, and when you think back, when you think back, when you think back, it had to be that way. You couldn't roar by fear and be a miserable bug and have that success. You had to have that sophistication and highly intelligent guy and so personable, so likeable, so utterly charming and that like, you know. And uh, it was really funny because when I went to Wigan with Warren and I was worried about my age and that like, you know, Warren goes, oh, Sir Alex is coming in today, like, you know. And uh, I thought, oh, I hope he remembers me, like, you know. And I went in and Alex with him and he goes, hey, how you doing, Mick? I said, all right. He goes, I can't believe you're still working at your bloody age. Well, I thought, well, at least you remember me. Like, you know. <laughs> so we'll call that a draw. <laughs> How did you find Bengal? Aloof, distant. Yeah. Aloof's probably a bad word. Uh, he's not going to want to take me for coffee. Is he like the under-21s mentor? You know, but it was okay. Staff were very nice. They, they, they were really nice, you know. But he bought in... I was MR, and he bought in a guy called Marcus Rakers, I think. I think he's the guy at Arsenal now. So when I got back to pre-season after the Euros and that, and when I'd been away and we won that trophy, I felt really important because I had a defined role. And then going back there, slipping into that ill-defined role, I, I felt quite low about it. And then when I got my top, I was M.R. And then I thought, oh, God. And then they were bringing another physio in for the first one called Matt Ratcliffe. Oh, no. Oh, I thought, got I'm going to be M.R. M.R. It's like a fucking Google thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 Just put his email address on here. Yeah, I know. So... Uh, but then Van Hal said, look, you know, uh, and it was more aimed at a couple of the senior staff work with the first team. And Va Van Hal kind of said, look, if you either work for Man or England and that, like, so we had a kind of ultimatum. And I wanted to stay with the physio. I wanted to stay with England and that. So it allowed me a quite easy out. And I left and, and that was it. And I, I, I say I, I drove out after two years and I drove through the, the, uh, the barrier, the exit and that, and the guy said, yeah, see you later, and went back to his crossword, and that was probably a metaphor for my time there, like, you yeah. know. Baz, how on earth did you end up with Montserrat? Well, Danny Donachie phoned me up, like, you know, and he said, Baz, he goes, my dad's got a job somewhere in the Caribbean. <laughs> he goes, uh, he's going to need some help, like, you know. So uh, <laughs> I think you were just about getting it before we did the last one, were it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, just, you think... were just kicking off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I... I I met Willie and we've become very close friends and that like, you know, and he told me it was Montserrat and I did all about Montserrat, about the volcano and stuff like, you know, and I said I could do the four trips, that, there's four international breaks and I would do the four trips with him and I, I went, it was the most amazing experience, he's the most amazing guy, he taught me a lot about myself and about life and for me, without going over the top, it was that, that second trip where we beat Belize 1-0 and the day after and the walk to the volcano, that was my road to Damascus. And I spent a lot of time just listening and talking or comfortable silences and walking all around the island, really hilly. We walked miles together and that like, you know. And one day he just said to me, stop, stand, still listen. And I thought, wow, wasn't that the three degrees from the 70s? <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, he goes, what can you hear? I, I said, nothing. He goes, well, listen harder. Listen harder. What? Listen harder? So I listened. All of a sudden, yeah, yeah, I can, I can hear the waves and the sea and... There's a dog barking and he's at a shutter blowing too and you can actually hear the rust of the leaves and that. So I told him that. He's good. yeah, good, listen harder. So I listen harder. And then you become aware of your breath and your own heartbeat and that. And I say in the book, Jesus, that was some weird S-H-I-T, like, you know. <laughs> and then we just walked off and that, like, you know. 
and that time I spent with him changed me a lot. If you can change in four trips and that, it, it, you know, uh, and the people on the island, it's all so laid back. So the guy used to bring the minibus for the players. We walked everywhere. Me, the guy bought the minibus. Like you know, he was late. He was late. He was late. I said, "You're late. You're late. You're late." Because oh man, he goes. You early, <laughs> and he smiled on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, the game, game just kicked off, by the way. <laughs> so if that's early, all the best, mate. So, but then after a while, you get seduced by. So we, we've trained in the morning, like, and the ladies are making the food. It's amazing, and the, and you, I said, oh, food. Five minutes late, five minutes late. He goes, ah, the food cooking, the food will come. You know, just sit on the grass, enjoy the sunshine. We bring the. And after a while, you get seduced by it, and you realise that it's us rushing round yeah. and that, you know. The rat race. And, and he wasn't, he wasn't late. We said beer at nine o'clock. He come at ten past. Big deal. We train at ten. All right, train at ten past. Train at eleven. It's like paradise, like you know. <laughs> so um, you do become kind of seduced by that lifestyle and the calmness of life and stuff like you know. And the, the guys, the guys who went over there, British subjects from Montserration, parents or grandparents, mainly playing like National League South, mainly one pro. Um, I've got more now, like you know, and they were so proud to play for nothing. And I saw that altruism that I'd forgot existed because I've been in the Premier League, where it's all about the money. Obviously, you know that's that's how it is there, like you know. But this was different. These guys were working and driving trains and working in shops and that, and still giving up. They, they got um, reimbursed their wage, but they're not getting paid for playing and that like, you know, and they all turned up and they had their passports, didn't have to chase them around and that because th these were men who had jobs and that they, they could get on the plane without me picking them up and putting them on and that like. <laughs> and that. <laughs> what, what were the, just to give some context to the, to the challenge that was a foot, like what, what's the population? Five, six, seven thousand. Five thousand. There were there were more on, but the volcano destroyed half the island and that. So, what's your what are the expectations put on you to take over this national team? What? Well, they were bottom ranked at the time. They hadn't won for three years and that. Like you know, and I kept saying to Willie, "Said oh, I think we'll win all games." I thought, oh god. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying to so like. You, what kind of level are you? Who are you playing? Some of the other uh, right. islands, or uh, so the first game was against uh, El Salvador, six million people, soccer mad. So <laughs> the, the lads and Willie are talking about clean sweep, four wins. So I'm trying, to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to give Willie some like, I say Willie, like you know, can we get real about this? Like you know, if we couldn't get beat by fewer than ten in the first game, <laughs> yeah, and then Belize, Belize, two million people, soccer mad. If we can hold them to six in the second game. <laughs> The game is supposed to get easier in the groupings. Third game, Curaçao, big island, some good Dutch-type players because it's, it's a kind of Dutch colony. If we can, like, maybe... Could maybe get a draw there. <laughs> and then Grand Cayman, we might edge a win. Oh, no, I think we win all the games. Like, you know. <laughs> so I'm thinking, wow, this guy's deluded, like, you know. But you know what? The lads... It was incredible. The lads were fantastic. So we got the, it's, it's, it's so hard to get there. It's me and Willie drive to Heathrow through the night. Then it's like 11 hours to Miami. Then it's Miami to Antigua. Then it's a catamaran chopping across the waters. Like, you know, it's unbelievable. <laughs> we get on the plane, I'm sat with the players, like, you know, and the, the drinks trolley comes rattling down, like, you know, I'm thinking, oh, no. Is this was, was a, a Premier League team or Everton? If that trolley would have come within 100 yards of a player, that person would have been, oh, don't you dare! If that would have been Dave or any of the managers, how dare you? You they're not having you know would have been like fourteen orange juices anyway. So the lady comes up with the trolley and she goes, uh, "Would you like a drink for the flight, sir?" I said, "Yeah, I'll have a a, a, a Coke." 
So I got a Coke. She asked the lad next to me, would you like a drink? He goes, yeah, I'll have two beers and a double Jack Daniels and Coke. <laughs> the next lad piled into the vodka. He's had the whiskey as well. He's got three bottles of wine under his bloody seat. And the lad turns to me and goes, don't you drink Baz? I thought, right, I'm getting pissed on the way back. <laughs> but, you know, the, 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 the whole point of it, the whole point of that story was they had their couple of drinks, slept on the flight, they didn't get pissed, they didn't abuse, they didn't fall off the plane at the far end. The men, they behave like men. They're here to win, they're here to do a job. And while we were there, the whole thing was about the experience and enjoying because I thought we were going to, all, all, going to lose all the games. But it, it was... Um, we, we wanted it to be a magical experience in magical places, and it turned out to be that. And that second game, we, we lost the first game in the 95th minute 2-1 against El Salvador. The one that you're taking 10? Yeah, yeah, we were winning. They got two late goals and we were out on our feet because the lads have been driving trains and working in shops the day before. And we'd had like a two-day trip to get there. Like, you know, the second game a month later, we beat Belize and there was like, a, a, I don't know, a thousand people at the game and the drums, you can imagine the perfect night and that, you know. And me and, me and Willie sloped away like, you know, there was a little shack, a little shack like, you know, and obviously Willie's a Buddhist like, you know, and there was a little lady there open all night and she gave us the beers and we sat there and... There was, there was a goat and a chicken and the, the goat was like sat on Willie's head like and I was saying, <laughs> I was saying the book you probably knew from a previous life like, you know, like, you know. and we sat there in that perfect night in that perfect quiet and a mile away the lads the lads stood in there kitting out on the pitch and that like drinking and celebrating all the fans and the drums and that like you know and the barbecue and my god those lads deserve that because most of them lads had started at big clubs and slipped down but, you know, OK, technically slipped down on that, but not through lack of desire, just maybe not quite good enough on that. But they'd all hung on in there and they'd stayed and they'd played and every dog has his day. And that day on the pitch with the drums and the barbecue and the beers and shoulder high they were carried by the fans, that was their day. So they deserve that. So do you know to pick your, your Montserrat squad? Is it basically just anybody who plays football in England? Yes, it was. Yes. It's been fine-tuned. Now, Willie's taking it on for two years now and actually um, a couple of lads uh, from Salford can play for it and, and and Willie's done great. He's unearthed a lot of players who are third-generation Montserrations and the team now is actually probably all professional. Kyle, Kyle, um, Lyle, Lyle Taylor. Taylor. Yeah. Uh, he came on three ships. He was amazing because he was a pro at Charlton and it is a lot of travelling, a lot of stuff on that, like, you know, to play in front of, like, a 1,000 people, 1,500 people on AstroTurf, a lot of the games and that, like... But he... Was that... Sorry, was that your job to kind of persuade these lads to sell them, to, sell them yeah, what? Yeah, Willie's job, yeah. And obviously, as we got the fame and that, and, and we won the games uh, and got more press and publicity and the goals on looping the... CONCACAF, and I didn't realise there's 42 countries in CONCACAF. I thought it was Mexico and Jamaica and three others. But it's not. There's 41 countries. It's really thriving when you get over there. And it does mean the world. And all the Antigua's got a good team. Aruba, Bonaire, they've all got teams and that who play. And then it means a lot to those teams. When we're over here, we don't really get it. We don't really realise. But when you're over there, it is a big deal, CONCACAF. There's and a we, movie in that, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. The, yeah. The, it, mad, it, yeah. the mad Buddhist coach. Yeah, like, he's yeah. like to make a bobsled yeah. team, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was an amazing experience. And again, we didn't, you know, say to the players, you must be in your bed, you must not drink. We just said, look, lads, do what you want to do. But they, they, they were hard on each other. They policed each other ruthlessly. And half-time in every game, they were effing and blinding at each other. Me and Willie could go in and that, like, you know... Uh, because they wouldn't accept second best. And you know, like, the modern players will kind of sit there quietly, please 
please let's get changed and go home. These lads were vicious and voracious and they 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 policed each other and they monitored each other and on the day of the first game I said, Right lads, it's warm, get back to your hotels, air conditioning on. They didn't go back to, you know, pros are like the comatose we fear lying in the bed off oh, we lose tonight and that. these lads didn't have those fears. So they went out swimming and me and Willie went for a walk and a couple of them having a coffee and walking. If if I seen a few lads with a beer, no big deal, not a problem. Because the other lads wouldn't then get away with that anyway. So it was a really incredible experience in terms of seeing that other side of football. People just determined to... I'm not saying pros aren't determined to play, but of course they are. But when you take the money out of it, you take a lot of the pressure away and you bring in the experience of playing for the shirt and that. And it taught me a lot about football because I come conditioned to believe that, yeah, you get paid that much and, and, and that it's all about money. If you get moved to a better club, you get for more money. And, and that is essentially how it is in professional sport. That's just the way it is. But these guys weren't like that. These guys, and we had an incredible situation whereby Willie had let us, them all kind of help picking the team. And he picked the team one day and they went, look, you know, we think he should play and instead of him. And him who would have been out went, yeah, you're right, he should be in front of me. Like, you know, <laughs> I've only come for a fucking holiday. I, I wanted to say that in the 70s, you know, when I was a player, you know what, I actually leave me out, so I'll put him in. But you can't when you're a pro, can you? And we saw that and it was incredible. And everybody was determined not to be the weakest link. And it was just amazing. The whole just, the whole thing, like, put the whole, I don't know, thing into perspective. Yeah. Because I suppose from a fan's perspective, people get disillusioned with the money around the game. And yeah. But yeah. I suppose these lads are playing just for the opportunity yeah. to play. Because they've pro- no, no chance of playing international football. No. So the opportunity to to just play international football Absolutely. and be part of it and experience yeah. it. Yeah. That's the reason that they're Absolutely. There. Plus, it's a fucking... I'm sure it's a very nice country as well. Yeah. So oh, I'm sure it is bloody lovely. It's an amazing country. How is it funded? Because I'm sure... I, I, I'm assuming CONCACAF or uh, or more, more likely FIFA must fund it. Because, you know, notwithstanding the fact the lads don't get paid, they were reimbursed for lost wages... And we only took 14 players, only me and Willie's staff. So, but that's 16 transatlantic flights. That's 16 times five nights in the hotel in Montserrat. So it's still tens of thousands of pounds, mm. you know. So, so you, are you getting paid this year? Well, it was really interesting because Willie said to me, I, I, "It's a thousand. Now I didn't know if that was a thousand quid, pineapples, but I would, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I, I weren't bothered because I, I was there for experience and that, like, you know. Yeah. Having said that, I got over there and I found that the local currency is East Caribbean dollars. A thousand of them is about 80 quid, you know. <laughs> but And I'd already bought seasickness tablets, 40 quid, like, you know. So I was already down on it, like, but I found out it was just US dollars. So actually, a thousand US dollars is like, was like 900 quid. And it paid for the expenses, but it was not about the money, unlike smell of football too, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Which I've sort of changed my mind now. It's wholly about the money. <laughs> so get there, yeah, yeah. But uh, it it was an incredible experience, and it changed. It, it, I don't want to say it changed my life, but it made me see, see things very, very differently than what I previously had. When you're heads down in the professional game, so and as well as that, is that. Yeah, everyday life, like you worry about getting a wall, you worry about pressures of work. Did that? That went. As I say, that went. And I say, I went back into Everton. And I always did the thing about getting to 60, getting to 60. And I got back and a phone call, come back to Everton. I'll start tomorrow. It's my 60th birthday today. I'm back. Absolutely incredible. And I went back in and somebody said, how are you, Ben? I said, I'm 60. You don't look 60. It was like magical, the whole thing. And it seemed the whole journey through the book, I kept saying, this is more than just coincidence. This is part of something. And when I got to the end, I thought, wow, 
this has kind of joined up the loop and that. So it turned out to be amazing, really, the whole thing. I know you, you've read the new book, mm. and I've read it. It's due back tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be reading that same exact same book very shortly. <laughs> Thank right. you. Thank no, you. Encourage anyone to. I'll be honest with you, if I get it back in time, it could actually be a Christmas present for my dad as well. <laughs> well that, 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 that's absolutely fantastic. Absolutely. Thank, thank you. Who changed your mind on sports science? Uh, the guys at Nottingham Forest, they were brilliant, and I saw it done well. I saw it done with a soft touch. I saw it done with a less is more approach, seeing that each player's individual and they're not all the same and that, like, you know. So I saw it done really, really well. And I saw it, I saw the guy at Rochdale take my lad, work him, get him fitter and quicker and stronger and transform him, transform him into quite a smallish late developer into a really quick, strong player. So I saw it done on a couple of levels. Fantastic one. I thought, yeah, I'm having this now, like, you know, so. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. Thanks for coming on. Well, I've really enjoyed it. Really I've really enjoyed it, you know. Really appreciate so. it. And, they, and we'll have the link in the description. Well, thank so you very much, guys. So if wants to get the book, well, that's, you can yeah. straight on it. Yeah, well, that's fine. And get yeah. get, get, get some get more envelopes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I can't wait to. Yeah. Better looks and we might buy you a brick stick for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That. yeah. Poor wife with her chapped lips. Great stuff. Thank you for inviting me on. Cheers. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.